Please note, on this episode of the Territory Story podcast, there is discussion about a story related to child sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there and welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. My name is Peter Gowers and we are Leon Logan-Nathan-less on this episode as he's travelling under his uh, chairmanship overseas, organising the uh, bits and pieces for LAW. So he'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. But don't worry, I have our usual special guest, the man that the episode is named after, Mr. Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, and of course, Weekends with Walshy. G'day, Chris. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Good to see you. Good to see you too. And uh, big week in uh, journalism, Chris, as it always <laughs> is. Yeah, just covering this place will keep you busy. Uh yeah, there's so much stuff that kind of goes on behind the scenes that we're working on that, you know, hopefully mm-hmm. we'll get out here before before we kind of shut for Christmas. But, yeah, it's been a busy week on its own, but then I'm working on a few other things here that uh, that we'll, we'll, we'll get out soon, and then we'll be longer reads for people, but very informative. And a word of advice, if you haven't already, uh, I highly encourage you to sign up for the NT Independent uh, subscription and obviously put your email details in there and the daily emails that you get are wonderfully informative as to what's actually going on and you can obviously click on the stories that you want to that you want to read but just this week alone i was kept on the edge of my seat with the the various stories that were coming out from your little updates <laughs> yeah like you know and i think that's what differentiates ourselves from the other media is we, we, we're not working for anybody here. We're, we're working for people who subscribe, who want to read us. <clears throat> but, you know, we're not pushing the government's agenda here. And we, we have no obligation to anybody but our readers and to the mm. public at large to report what's happening. So we don't, we don't sugarcoat things. We don't cover things up. We report everything, good, bad, and different. You know, um, this is how the territory is. <laughs> it tends to be more negative than positive stuff. But, you know, in politics anyway, is what I'm, I'm getting at. And, um, you know, p- people are entitled to know the truth of what's happening. And I just feel sometimes the other outlets are kind of letting people down when they're, you know, for whatever reason, they're afraid to rock the boat. They're afraid that, um, you know, pissing off a, a, a politician or some high level person will result in them not getting information down the road. Like we've talked about this with Leon before. Yeah. He had a good line about how journalism isn't quid pro quo. It's not something for something. It's we, yeah. we, we're the ones here who are going to report what you're doing um, and you're accountable to the public. So, yeah. So anyway, that's just where we come from. And, you know, we kind of got into that again this week when we saw what the police been up to. And yeah. Disappointing. It was just on that too. Like I, I sort of view it because people will often say to me, oh, you know, is it all just negative? And it's like, well, it's not all just negative, but it's warts and all. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's no agenda. There's nothing being hidden. And, you know, we're, we're, as, we're as happy as you are uh, to when, when we do this episode with you. Um, and obviously when you're writing your stories, if there's good stories to tell, we'll happily tell them. And, mm-hmm. you know, we do celebrate them. The, the fact is that 
the last few years in particular have been very dark and there's yeah. all sorts of things going on that shouldn't be. <laughs> so reporting yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a crime. No, you know, like that's funny, just a conversation that I had. Uh, did we talk about that last week? I don't know. Um, where it was like, well, you know, Crocs in the Cabinet was a book about that very colourful, corrupt, yeah. incompetent government of the CLP between 2012 and 2016, the Giles Mills government there, Mills Giles. Um, the thing about that, and we were saying to somebody, somebody was like, you got to write another book. And I said, yeah, but that one like had humorous elements. This is just dark. <laughs> It's just going to be very dark because what these people have exposed of how this place, this function, the corruption and incompetence in this place is is just on a whole nother level that we didn't see while the CLP was in power because they were dancing and distracting us and we could follow their antics. But this labor government, by their own ineptitude and and not being leaders and not being uh, knowledgeable of anything, uh, let the public service lead them down this dark path and then in the meantime they were covering up their own secrets and and doing only what was good for themselves personally and so Mm -hmm. you just get to a really bad place with that and i uh, you know i don't know when that ends or when things improve here but uh uh, you hope you hold up faith that that they will and i think you know as a journalist the only way we could make things better is to just report it all and get it out there for people to decide and whether that means you know law enforcement authorities have to take actions or, you know, if it just comes to the people who say we've had enough, these people work for us. Um, but anyway, everyone's got to be informed and you've got to stay informed about the community. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just um, pull you up there on one fact, Chris. Um, uh, you referred to the uh, Mills-Giles government. And I think in fairness, it was the mills giles Van Hostra, Giles Westra Van Hostra, Giles government. Yeah, yeah, at least till midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was just we thought we had seen it all then, and now we've got a whole new class of clowns. I'll tell you, and you know, in the scheme of things, I'll take my hat off to Adam Giles for that because there's not many party leaders who get ousted. And then just front the cameras and say, "No, nah, I'm not having that. I'm I'm going back to be leader." So <laughs> <laughs> it was it was pretty bold. It was gold. Um, yeah, and it, it didn't make anything better. <laughs> it made things worse. It but didn't anyway, change right. a thing. It, yeah. Thankfully, it gave you the material for a pretty good book. So <laughs> yes, that's right. Anyway, look, let's get into the stories. Um, and you know, speaking of dark, let's talk about this first one because uh, this is something we've referred to in. in previous times, um, something quite similar. And, uh, yeah. you know, this is the sort of stuff that, that obviously needs to be reported but is also extremely sensitive. Um, there's a child sexually assaulted in daylight by an unknown man who's still at large as the police have delayed telling the public about it. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I just I couldn't believe the way that they went about this today. Uh, you know, after everything that happened last year, and we ran, you know, a year and a half ago, those stories. So it's just, uh, just awful stories about uh, sexual assaults, um, some involving children that uh, that they just were not informing the public about. That they had, you know, purposely withheld uh, crucial information um, about how these, uh, they, you know, they were either weren't, weren't made public soon after they had happened which is what we saw now, uh, even in cases when the alleged offender was still at large, which we see now, or that the sexual part of the assault had been hidden. And in one case, um, the police executive had not made public the alleged rape element of a break-in, 
only describing it as a break in a robbery when a woman was sexually assaulted in her bed while she slept. And, and we needed to know that stuff. And, and that was an Alice Springs story. So, you know, it's just so disappointing. And I thought that we got to a point here where they were, you know, at a point where they were going to give the public the information that they can. We're not asking for, for explicit details of what happened. Nobody needs that. But, you know, for this case, for instance, so they're right now still looking for a guy who, you know, they're saying now he attempted, it was an alleged attempted sexual assault on a child in broad daylight in a Palmerston suburb. Uh, but what happened was the government puts us, so this happens at 2.30. The man enters a home. Now they're saying he's 150 centimeters tall because they're still looking for him and they might by the time this airs. So 150 centimeters tall. They said, quote, of Aboriginal appearance uh, with a short, stocky build and short shave cropped hair. They also claimed he had been wearing in, a, in one thing, red and white boxer shorts at some point. The man allegedly entered a home and driver in, in Palmerston around 2.30 p.m. on Wednesday and came into contact with a child aged between 6 and 10. He was dis disturbed or disrupted by someone at the home and fled on foot naked, police said. Okay, so that happens at 2.30. So at eight o'clock, like just minutes before eight o'clock, they issue a, a, a media release, a press release statement saying that they were, quote, currently conducting an operation in the vicinity of Widup Crescent. They're conducting an operation. Mm. What, what the hell does that, that mean? Random breath testing? Or? Yeah. Uh, stated that the residents were, quote, urged to report any suspicious behavior in the area but offered no explanation of what had occurred or why they were conducting this broad operation. Now, the only detail that was offered was that there was some sort of alleged assault that occurred at an unknown time. They didn't say when or where. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was just, uh, you know, inexplicable that they wouldn't provide the details of this thing. Yeah, you know, when they have uh, a duty, really, uh, to inform the public of what's going on, to just put out these statements saying, oh, yeah, we're conducting an operation and, you know, something may have happened. Look out for anything suspicious. Well, every night, people <laughs> in Palmerston are looking out for something suspicious. You're going to need to narrow that down for us, fellas. <laughs> yeah, in every <laughs> suburb, in, in Darwin, Palmerston, all across the Northern Territory, every night we're looking for something suspicious. Absolutely. So, well, I mean, why not just tell people what happened? I mean, there's no threat to the exposure of the victim at that point to say, you know, hours ago, this person attempted to assault a child, even if they had said that. Mm. Um, but, you know, so people know what they're looking for and to say that there's this uh, a naked man, you know, and then it became today. So then they wait, right? So they put this out at eight o'clock at night and they don't tell anybody anything. And, you know, what are you going to do with that info? So they wait until late Thursday morning. And they do a press conference and they say, okay, now this is where some details come out. And this is nearly 24 hours and they don't know who the guy is or where he is. You got kids going to school in the morning. You get, yeah. you know, all kinds of issues here. So they say, um, uh, it was Commander Session Sharma said at a press conference, the police had attended the scene immediately but uh, as we have in the story here, but apparently was not asked why they did not make the incident public and provide details earlier for what the community should be looking for. Uh, he said there's a number of witnesses, statements, forensic examination and door knocks that have been occurring overnight. Uh, police are focusing on driver and Elrundi avenues. And he just gave a brief overview of what he wanted from CCTV footage. He said that the child and family were being looked after by police. Uh, yeah, uh, 
you know, if we just get back to this about how they've, they, you know, this isn't a thing where they can say, all right, we went door to door or something. This is like something that the water community here needs to know about when these things happen. Uh, and they like, yeah, going door to door, whatever. It was just, it's just trying to cover this up again, which I, mm. I, I'm just so surprised that they can't tell us. Remember, like one time they came out and said that we, we, we couldn't know about it. One of their defenses last year was because people would just read it for the kick getting their own kicks out of details of sexual wow. assaults, which was so mm. offensive to everybody. Yeah. Every parent who would want to know what's going on. But look, this is a, this is a police group here who've, uh, you know, the executive and their media arm, um, you know, we, we looked, we, we looked at the numbers and we compared the press releases that are put out. This was to, uh, somewhere near the end of last year. I know we ran it uh, just before Christmas last year. So a year ago, um, so we compiled all of the actual sex assaults that occurred in the NT. And then we kind of compared that to how many uh, press releases went out to the public about it. So what we found, and this was actually over 22 months until wow. October of last year, was that only 6% of sexual assault offenses in the NT were publicly reported by the police. So, Gee. what's their yeah. obligation, Chris? Well, I mean, to get the public, <laughs> keep the public informed, keep everyone safe. Now, there, yeah. there could be reasons for this. We went to them with questions. Of course, they don't respond to us, so they don't respond to the community to say, well, why are you doing this? So there were 46 press releases about sexual, sexual assaults and related offenses issued by the anti-police's newsroom from January 2020 to October 21. Well, data from the Attorney General and Justice Department showed there were 862 sex assaults and related offenses reported at the same period. Only 5.3% of all cases reported were made public in, in police media releases. So, look, this is a policy, surely, that they have to have here. But uh, I would say that it's time to review this. I mean, yep. when we had with the, the horrible situation that we had last year with that kid, and remember, then the, the guy was finally sentenced in the front yard, which was just horrific. And that 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 had shaken like the long serving sex crime detectives were really upset by that yep. one. We got this. It's time to kind of reevaluate this. Now, what is in the public interest? What is a way to keep people informed? I think that they have a responsibility to inform the public relatively quickly to, to, to wait six and a half hours from the time of the yeah. incident. I mean, they've got, they've got a whole, they've got like a dozen people who do their media stuff. Like they've, it's not like the, oh, the cops are too busy. There's a way to do that like so that. everybody knows. Yeah, Correct. No. And with something like that, time is of the essence. I mean, six hours. Right. When, when the guy's loose. Buddy Alice Springs by then. Yeah. Well, the guy's loose and we don't have a description. We don't know what he did. Yeah. And uh, and then six and a half hours later, they put out something saying that, um, yeah, well, something's happened. We're looking to look for anything yeah. suspicious in your backyard. Like, Jesus yep. Christ. So I think they need to reassess how they're how they're doing this, what the public needs and 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 and, and really does need from its police in terms of information and what yes. you know can be kept because we want to make sure the victims, especially of sexual assaults and especially when they're children, 
that they're protected. Uh, there's got to be a better balance and a better approach than, than this. Just yep. suppress information and put people at risk because, well, we don't really think it's, you know, the public should know about it. It's their judgment has been called into question before when we see this executive and exactly what they're doing. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't have any faith in them here to, to, to be doing what they should be doing for the public and the way in which the public expects it. Yeah. And just um, uh, in a press release to hand, uh, the NT police have now asked everyone to please stop calling when they see things suspicious in the Palmer's area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's going to keep them busy for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, look, um, let's move on to the next story. And uh, this is a really interesting one for me when I – uh, saw this come through via email from the NT Independent a few days ago. The uh, Darwin shiplift, which nobody needed or nobody wanted, um, <laughs> the project contractor has collapsed and entered voluntary administration. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you'd sum that up there too. Uh, so this is this is a major uh, Western Australia-based engineering company. The, yeah, the government selected as part of the joint venture uh, partnership to build the the long delayed taxpayer funded five hundred and fifteen million dollar Darwin shiplift. Uh, so they've gone into administration raising questions about the future of the project. So this is Cloth Group, Cloth Group and its subsidiaries replaced in the voluntary administration after a proposed short term loan facility of thirty million from uh, a company in town company. I think they are WeBuild. The cloth, which was to be used as working capital to avoid entering voluntary administration, fell through. Apparently, they owed a lot more money to this company, and then somehow mm. that deal didn't eventuate. Uh, now, yeah, the failure of that interim loan to meet the prescribed date for implementation prompted Cloth's board to place the company and its affiliates under voluntary administration. So Deloitte is looking at, after that right now. Uh now they were now Clough was working with uh, BMD Group, and they were selected by the Files government earlier this year uh, as the preferred contractors for the Darwin Shiplift, uh, which has never seen an economic assessment publicly produced, and that would be operated privately by Pass Valley Group. You remember, you know, we get into this like. Like you, you mentioned there, nobody wanted it. It's not, nobody asked for it. Uh, in fact, you know, when they say that, uh, oh yeah, we're, um, you know, this is going to be great for the future of Northern Australian infrastructure that, uh, hundreds of local jobs, uh, grow businesses, establishing a marine services precinct. Well, and, and, and it would be used for multiple industries, the government said, including offshore petroleum, fishing, pearling. Of course, Perling, because Fast Valley's running it for free. We're building it for them mm. uh, and defense and border force activities. They said, but neither the ADF nor border force has committed to using the <laughs> facility. Right. But it, it's uh, this whole, if you build it, they will come thing. And uh, ah. they just believe really, really hard that if they built the shoeless Joe Jackson will show up and <laughs> hit some dingers for them. Um, uh, yeah, it's just such a waste of money, even from the beginning. Uh, so now, but now, uh, you know, this has gone on for years. It's been delayed. The last time I think we heard about it was in May when they announced uh, this uh, cloth BMD joint venture as a contractor. Uh, for some reason, file said it was symbolic and historic, and that the shiplift will bring millions into the territory economy annually, <laughs> uh, as well as okay. generate and maintain hundreds of local jobs. 
Given what we know now, Chris, it is quite symbolic of this government. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, that's the question everybody's asking. I mean, what kind of due diligence was done here? Now, coffee is a pretty big company, but I think we're starting to see some issues here. Now, one of the things that they did when they announced Cloth BMD as this joint venture partnership uh, for contractors, that's when they just started throwing out, oh, yeah, it's a $515 million ship lift. And we're like, wait Mm -hmm. a second. No, no, no. A few months earlier, it was $400 million. So now it's $515. Now you got the major contractor on this uh, going into administration. What does that mean? How much more is it going to be? I think Lawler had said that 115 was, you know, due to delays and uh, just the cost of everything increasing now. Well, it's not going to yeah. get any cheaper. And now we don't know if this, you know, what the delays are going to be. I think the government had said some comment about how, quote, they'll closely monitor the situation involving cost <laughs> collapse. Uh, I'd hope so. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Look, I think we're just at that at that point. There seems to be a lot happening where these companies, especially these kind of bigger ones, seem there's uh, seems to be some issues with their capital and their ability to pay people. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And where we go next? So, the, so, if they build it, if we build it, they will come. Has now turned into. We can't build it, so no one will come. <laughs> so just keep staying away. <laughs> <laughs> keep staying away from the place you weren't coming to in the first place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. So yeah. that's uh, that's huge. I mean, it, it seems unfathomable that they could have been issued with whatever it is, contracts, or I don't know how that system works, but the, the, um, the contract to to build it or to build it in partnership yeah. and that less than 12 months later, barely six months later, yeah, six months they've later. gone into administration. A- yeah. And from what you described, the, the the credit facility they were hoping to get was from a pre-existing creditor anyway. Yes. So, and yeah, they've obviously so. just said, no, well, hang on, we'll cut our losses here. We're not going to give yeah. you more. Yeah, and I think they had had a lot more before that wasn't even divulged. I was reading another story later in the week about that from one of the financial uh, reporters. And, yeah, no, it was it was more money before. Um, so they're there. Now, remember, the, the Clough's the one that was also a major contract, I guess, for Snowy Hydro. Yes. Yeah, so some questions down there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. On your way about that. So, um yeah. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. But like I said, there's something happening here. It seems to be that. Uh, yeah. yeah, something's going on with these with these big companies and getting the financing they need. Well, there sure is, and that leads us beautifully into our next story. Uh, with a major mining and energy contractor with significant NT operations also going into administration this week. <laughs> yeah, this is a big one that we just found out about uh, this afternoon, actually. Uh, so we tried to get this one up as, as quick as we could. Now, this is a Singaporean listed company, but known as Oz Group. So they have three different divisions in the NT here itself. Uh, it was a major contractor for Inpex on the ICFIS project uh, and also the Montero facilities. Now, yeah, there's, uh, from what we understand, a lot of people relying on this, this company, very big company here, Oz Group. Uh, so the company went into administration the same week as Clough, uh, and uh, the Energy News Bulletin is where we get it. One of these trade publications who, you know, they kind of quietly put it out there, and then we start reporting <laughs> it, and 
luckily we're we're monitoring these things so everybody a else one line at the bottom of page <laughs> yeah. seven <laughs> yeah so um yeah look i think this pretty big oz group had problems with debt again over a number of years and then it's a 2022 annual report stated it had net liabilities of 110 uh, million this week, however, the Oz Group had told shareholders uh, to seek advice after it had appointed judicial managers following its default on a loan repayment, which was 7.45% of the $110 million it owes. Uh, Oz Group uh, reconstructed, yeah, as we know here in the NT, the Montana, Montera facilities and also provided module installation and fabrication at ICTUS. NT Port and Marine is a marine services company owned by Oz Group here based in Darwin with facilities mm. at Port Melville on the Tiwi Islands. Ah. So we know about that one. And at East Arm, uh, which provides fuel areas for lay down and storage and berthage and accommodation facilities. So, uh, yeah, uh, what they we had here in the story here. So we, we again compared it to Cloth and what was going on there and they were seeking 30 million. Uh, the AWU, Western Australian State Secretary Brad Gandhi, told the Energy News Bulletin that we're unfortunately seeing far too many companies not being able to balance their books, especially when it comes to debt and their workforce are left to pay the price. He said one of the reasons these uh, major contractors were struggling financially was, quote, a race to the bottom in contracting where companies were tendering yes. for work at such low levels the workers were not being paid properly. Yes. Uh, yeah. When it's the end of, at the end of the day, when these companies fail, it's not the company directors or CEO who suffer. It's their workforce who are left holding the bag. We know that major contractors employ thousands of Australian workers and they need to step up and ensure workers are not left fighting for scraps when creditors close in. Although we're not holding our breath, we'll fight tooth and nail to ensure workers' entitlements are protected. So, yeah, but look, some of that, yeah, you know, gets into the union rhetoric there. But yeah, this, this is this is exactly the problem. These, it is. And what happens companies. With- what happens with these long-term projects as well? So the atmosphere right now is probably at its worst for these situations where you've got these companies who are tendering for work and winning tenders for work that is likely to go on for multiple years. Mm. And so where you've got an environment of rising interest rates, you've got inflation, which is settling but considered out of control you've got wage pressure and and you've got companies that are trying to do quotes and tenders for work that is going into the future they don't know what the prices are going to be in two or three years time so if they're coming into it in a bad situation which by the sound of those two companies they probably were then it's it's going to be near impossible and business environment will get more difficult. Um, it's very common in the housing sector for these. We've seen collapses already globally, but we're seeing some in Australia now too. Mm. And it'll only get worse because it's difficult for them. To, technically, you know, in, in the most basic terms, it's very difficult for them to tender for work or quote when for the, work. Yeah, costs are going up. Yeah. And they don't, yeah, they literally don't know what the, the, the cost, the end cost will be. Yeah. when these projects come to their conclusion. So, but, yeah, I mean, the, the losers are the employees, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be a very tough environment. And I've got yeah. to say, I've got to say, I've made fun of this till the cows come home, but 
this uh, sort of BS line that we got from several politicians a few years ago of money is cheap, <laughs> money is no longer cheap, and now these companies who borrowed money in these times when it was cheap, they're now paying for it and therefore, you know, so are workers and employees and, um, you know, yeah, anybody so will the anti-government eventually too. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a good so, point. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a mess now, and let's see what happens. But yeah, right now we know how volatile everything is in the economy with interest rates and everything Correct. else, and, and inflation going through the roof. So we'll yeah. see. And then the unions all want their money and uh, of course their raises and all that. So um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just I mean, very yeah, volatile. that other because that other stuff that's other people's problems, not not, not <laughs> our problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, look, let's move on now to a good news story uh, that came out this week. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for one third of Australians, it's a good going. news story anyway. <laughs> uh, China's missiles could reach Northern Territory and two thirds of Australia, a report warns. Yeah. Crazy, crazy times. And these wow. are the. These are only the intermediate ones too. I read. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a troubling, disturbing report. I mean, it's done by professional people here, uh, uh, who have sent this to the to the federal government, including you know former defense officials and stuff. And yeah, you know, you're just saying yeah, it's, it's, it is. Well, I'm saying it's troubling and disturbing, but luckily we have Nicole Madison protecting us. So. Absolutely. Yeah, she's from Northern the Gunner Territory School. Minister of Defense. Of Defense. <laughs> yeah, from the Gunner. Uh, <laughs> she's read Gunner's Art of War book, and uh, she's taken all the philosophies, all the learnings in. And and just on that, that's been um, it's now been immortalized. You said before, uh, build it and they will come, and. Uh, this one's now been reworked as give them what they want and they won't come. <laughs> <laughs> give us what they want. Give them what they want and they'll leave us alone, I think. Yeah. Got a, it's, it's so stupid. But here we are once again pulled into this geopolitical brawl that uh, I don't think we want to be involved in, uh, at least here in Darwin. But because of our geographic location, of course, we're there. And we've already got kind of pulled into it with the port years ago before, like any here in the public service was even thinking about this we got to remember that they weren't thinking like oh what's going to happen a couple years later when china becomes hostile and uh yeah yeah so like they just brought us into something that was just very troubling then so anyway this new report comes out uh to the federal government now this was to the defense strategic review that albanese struck up uh after being elected and this particular report was uh, submitted to that review, uh, created by former defense analysts in the U.S.-based think tank, the RAND Corporation, stated that China's land-based DF-26 intermediate range ballistic missile strikes could have a range of 4,000 kilometers. Now, of particular concern there was the what's called the Mischief, Mischief Reef situated 3,000 kilometers. Now, that was uh, something that yes. they created, <laughs> they yeah. built out there. Man-made. Yeah, to, to and, and and what we know now is that it's part of these uh, Spratly Islands that have military, they have military structures yeah. out there. It's a military base. It was first developed as early as 2014. Now, that mischief reef, uh, 3,000 kilometers northwest of Darwin, mm. and these things can go 4,000. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, so U.S. intelligence has already confirmed that the Mischief Reef was military, militarily operational and could attack the Pacific island of Guam. 
the island is the U.S. territory, you know, Guam. Uh, the report also suggested that the Australian Defense Force bases in the territory, uh, so complexes, you know, infrastructure in the territory, Queensland and the northern uh, half Western Australia, which are jointly operated with the U.S., should be moved further south in Australia to better protect them in case of a Chinese missile strike. Wow. So just yeah, in case, on the off chance, as long as the equipment's okay, don't worry about us living here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, the Defense Strategic Review, yeah, like we said, was commissioned by Albanese. Now, he, he, this is what he had said at the time was to ensure the Australia Defense Force is well positioned to meet the nation's security challenges through to 2033 and beyond. Now, part of that review is expected to be released in the new year, uh, with submissions having closed last week. So now this report kind of comes out. I think it was News Corp who, who had this thing first. We kind of just focused on the NT stuff of it here so that our readers knew because I don't know why the NT News wouldn't do that. They just run this, uh, you know, national story without pointing out, well, let's find yeah. out how this is actually relevant to the NT. Anyway, look, it, it, the, the report comes as, uh, you know, Penny Wong, Foreign Minister and Defense Minister Richard Marles are in Washington this week to discuss this increased rotational presence of U.S. forces in Australia. That includes previously reported bombers, U.S. Army and Navy forces and other logistics. Uh, so, yeah, look, the Americans are saying that they want to, uh, this will deepen our interoperability and create more agile and resilient capabilities, it sounds yeah, sure. Like the military thing. We'll also continue to find ways to further integrate our defense industrial bases in the years ahead. Now he's talking about that's U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. He's talking about uh, Australia and more probably specifically uh, North Australia, where yeah. they're talking about, uh, you know, yeah, increasing this uh, in their, their presence. So, yeah, now we, we just got into that. And just to remind people, it was revealed last month. That internal briefing documents from the Department of Defense, uh, the, the NT government confidentially contacted the federal government to engage in Australia's nuclear submarine program. Although, as we reported and we discussed at the hey, time, it was got to use the ship lift or something, Chris. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, nuclear <laughs> subs. Remember, we had them all decked out in their uh, their best whites, <laughs> <So> <laughs> their navy whites for that. No one explained uh, to the NT government that the subs stay in the water. Not out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, look, that that was unlikely to occur. Uh, the Deputy Chief Minister Nicole Maniston, and of course, again, Minister for the North, whatever it is, said the Territorians should not be concerned about the U.S. deploying. This was last month as well. Remember the six mm. nuclear-capable B-52 bombers to raft yeah. base Tyndall and Catherine, uh, despite fears they could be used as tensions escalate with China. Over Taiwan, Madison said there was nothing to worry about because the territory, quote, has a long and proud defense history. And then the federal money okay. to build upgrades to house the nuclear planes were good for the economy. Now, part of that long defense history involves Darwin being, being bombed. bombed. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what these people are doing. I don't know why they're in charge. Anyway, look, that's where we're at. I mean, this is above their 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 abilities. But I mean, <laughs> just about everything's above their abilities. But here we are on an international stage. We're talking, and it just so happens that because of our position, uh, this is this is what's going on here. This is what we find ourselves in, and mm. you know, diplomacy works, and it's better. And then um, then they start launching missiles at each other and using B fifty twos and God knows mm. what because. Yeah, I mean, you know, when all of this stuff month after month starts being reported and coming out, yeah, 
you know, I, I get why people would feel a little anxiety over this. That uh, it does sound like we're marching here to uh, to something. The war drums it does. beating. When you when you say about, I can't believe you know that these these people are in charge here and they're underqualified to be to be so. I, I think about that uh, scene in the original Top Gun when when Maverick and Goose are in the commander's office and he goes, "I got to do something here. I can't believe I got to do." I'm sending you two guys. <laughs> uh, it's got that feel to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe. If, yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. We have Files of Madison. Yeah. Because uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm sure you would concur with this. And I sleep much better knowing that if if it all hits the fan, that the swimming teacher's got our back, and <laughs> and she's in charge of whatever's coming. Well, yeah, you know, and that, like, yeah, wait, even if she just all of a sudden got good after became some sort of stateswoman, let's say, statesman on this. But, like, you know, that's not going to happen. And what we've seen with her leadership to date is that this is just a continuance of Michael Gunner's mm. uh, regime, basically, and what his agenda was. She's not differentiated herself at all. And that's. You know, I'm surprised that the CLP aren't on the attack more on that. Like, you're just Gunner 2.0. Completely like, agree. Sticking with that in people's minds because we haven't seen anything here. You know, she's got the yeah. same advisors. She's got the same uh, head public servants, although they got rid of Cowan. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah. I just, like, look, anybody, you look at the Volensky there in Ukraine. I mean, here's a guy who wasn't his background. He was a comedian, for Christ's sakes. But, you know. <laughs> When yeah, the tough times the call for you, of the Ukraine. Yeah, you step up and you start doing stuff, right? And I like I just don't know if our people are capable of anything like that. They're just and not funny, mate. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. And, you know, yeah, but, you know, it does, it comes to that. And then there becomes a test of leadership at some point. And, you know, I'm not sure that Gunner had it. I mean, I guess you could talk about COVID and then, and then he went a little overboard with that. And I'm being polite here. I Just mean, it, a little. It, yeah, it got crazy near the end where he was ran on raving and foaming at the mouth. Uh, Files hasn't had any test and like, yeah, I don't see that in anything like this. I mean, it's just, this is where we just, yeah, we're missing that kind of leadership again. Mm. And these things that make people feel comfortable and that, um, you know, we're in good hands. And of course, like I said, it's outside of us, but you still also want that local, you know, that 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 leader who is the the, the head of the Northern Territory to lead us. Yeah. No leadership. We're not getting rather that. no, and rather than feeling comfortable, you you feel this sense of if there's if there's something to keep from us, it'll definitely be kept from us. <laughs> oh man. Uh, uh. You know, I was just out getting lunch today and people coming up to me saying that. Like, And I said, hey, how you doing? As good as I can be in this corrupt regime that we're living in here. And I'm like, wow, geez, okay. That's heavy-handed. You guys read The Independent, eh? Um, but yeah, you know, like we're, like we're at that point where that's that's what's happening. It's just a full-out assault. I was even reading an ABC story today where they were talking about uh, 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 Beetaloo Basin. It's a very long story. Uh, the uh, uh, getting the fracking recommendations finalized, yeah. and there's an independent guy, this guy Richie, who was on the, the the panel or something, help with the recommendations. He's now independent, helping the government or overseeing the government's implementation of the pepper recommendations into fracking. Mm. And <laughs> he's independent, and they said they they wrote the ABC 
has sent questions to him, but he's not responded, despite being independent at the chief minister's office has shut down the questions, not him. Right. The chief minister's office. And then they asked the chief minister, I guess, when she, she was on radio the other day in Alice Springs, and she said, oh, yes, yes, I'll be uh, discussing that with uh, Mr. Ritchie, and we'll, we'll decide something that was apparently a couple of days ago, and they still haven't received anything back wow. on that. So this wow. is, again, they just shut down. Yeah, and this yeah. isn't even us. This is now they're shutting down the ABC because, look, I, I warned people about this. I said, we're on a slippery slope here. Yeah. And I told them, like the journalists, like, you know, you guys don't stick up for us. It's going to be you next. You'll be next. And look, yeah, yeah. And this is what's happening now. And then they just get away with it. And ABC yeah. will just give up eventually. Well, they, they won't even push it any further. You remember that time? Uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna started yelling at the journalists and stuff. And like, nobody yeah. did anything. ABC didn't even do anything about that. Mm. So yeah, here we are where things are just getting worse. And like you said, these, these regimes in place that are just attacking that, that open and transparent government that we need, that they even promised to be when they came in. It's yeah, all yeah. completely gone now. Yeah. Maybe we missed the little brackets that said not before it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was some disclaimer at the end of the, of the <laughs> Tony ballot. In, in number one font. <laughs> yeah, we are going to do the exact opposite of everything we just told you. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, look, um, just, just rest easy that uh, despite the fact that the uh, government website says that it will be, there will be no petrochemicals and metal arm, okay? Just to make sure that everyone goes well, a bit happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Woody Woody did another thing on Saturday about that, which I encourage people to read because he's just saying, like, here are the facts. These are the facts. These are just <laughs> the facts of what this yeah, thing yeah. is, what it's been sold to investors as. Now, that's that's just as important as going through the environmental uh, uh, assessment stuff is, of course, yeah. what they've been selling people on it. And, you know, Foz likes to say we're providing certainty for for industry on every decision that she used to make. She has to always throw that line in. And mm. now she's not really providing certainty when she's deleting things off of websites and, and changing yeah. facts after she's already told industry one thing. And of course, yeah. industry's not going to comment on it. They don't want to rock the boat because they figure, well, whatever it's quietly, we're going to get, we're going to get the gas in here and we're going to start yeah, producing yeah. this stuff. Yeah. So we won't say anything, but yeah, that's just terrible. Whether it's on the website or not, we're doing it. So yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Which, what the they government. want to tell the public, that's up to them. Yeah, this is where we live now, man. It's just depressing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's move on to the next story. The uh, NT Police Union threatens strike action as contract negotiations drag on. This has been going on for a while now, Chris. Yeah, apparently since uh, February. They've been uh, without a contract, uh, right. and or that's when negotiations are going on. I think they've been without the contract. I think it expired in June or something. Uh, they're pretty frustrated, the police association now, uh, to the point that they're saying this that uh, you know this continues any longer. Where I think they said time's up, uh, saying now that its members are well prepared to do whatever it takes to send their message to files. To the files government that they want a new consent agreement now, and that includes pay rise and uh, better working conditions. Uh, and what they're saying is that they'll do whatever it takes, including not working overtime, only attending to mandatory duties. And that one's troubling and claiming every hour they work. 
this is all part of what would be industrial action, but part of what uh, Paul McHugh, the president of the union, said would be a last resort. Uh, he was careful to say that it would not lead to a no response from police when called, uh, you know, trying to at least comfort people and then saying, look, we're not going to be just, it's not just going to be completely lawless. Although, <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Really? Yeah. Well, wasn't that in like RoboCop when the cops <laughs> went on strike or something and like it just went yeah. crazy and they were on the picket line and stuff and yeah, crime yeah. was out of control and everyone's doing nuke? I mean, we're not far from that here, Pete. That's why we need a robot, Chris. The I thing know. about that was when I read that story, I was like, it, I was trying to think of any other industries where they effectively go on strike, but they're still, still actually working. It's well, your like, work to rule. Yeah, it's just yeah. like the overtime stuff and whatever. Those but little thought, extras. Yeah. It's a slippery slope, man. You know, like Oh, yeah. And with the cops, man, you think about the extras they're putting in. Yeah. Like, as difficult yeah, yeah. as this job is. Like yeah. they're they're you know, they're doing more than that nine yeah. to five stuff or whatever their shift is for that day. Yeah. And we and know they're saying now we have to stop. Yeah. Yeah, it's it look, it's it is troubling. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the sort of cornerstones to a society that functions, and that is your emergency services have got to be functioning properly. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It's a good point. So, and this is where we're at now, where, look, yeah, I mean, and we'll get into the other story about what's going on in Alice now this week. But, yeah, look, uh, Paul McHugh saying that the union is completely frustrated with the lack of progress on the uh, enterprise bargaining agreement since negotiations began in February. He said there's been 120 officers resigned. And more than 70 officers assaulted in the time since, and that the strike action would occur if negotiations continue to drag on. They're seeking a pay rise, they wouldn't say exactly, but more than the current 2% on offer, as well as minimum staffing levels and other improved work conditions. So the minimum yeah. staffing levels we know yep. identified in that report, in that survey, along with the 80% of people have no faith in the in the police commissioner. They also identified there's not enough police to do the job. And this has been a political football for a long time. And I remember with Giles and the CLP saying, we're going to get 120 more officers. We're going to, and then that number just, even, even labor started throwing that number around. I got to a point where like, what's 120 more going to do? You're going to need more. So it's funny that he, he, he brings up this number too here. McGee, we've seen 120 officers resign. Hey, Chris, do you know what February. I reckon it is? Do you remember their, remember their magic number 12 million? Everything was 12 million? <laughs> yeah. 120,000 is divisible by 12 million. You watch. <laughs> Just 120 is divisible by 12 million. Um, yeah, no, yeah, this number keeps coming up. But look, it's, it's going to take more than that. And what, what McHugh said here is uh, interstate police forces are actively recruiting our members with many experienced detectives and TRG members already exiting. So he said, defense, Well, we know why that is. <laughs> Yeah, well, they don't want to. They still don't want to talk about that. Just last week, he's he's complaining about the commissioner making comments, but in this, yep. no real talk about the commissioner. So right. uh, he's saying defense. It's like flag. Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, they're not talking about it. Our, our members are not being unreasonable. McHugh said they want a pay increase that addresses uh, increasing cost of living pressures in the territory. They want safe minimum staffing levels. They want the right to disconnect from work when they finish their shift and are not on call. Imagine being on call is tough. We have always been prepared to negotiate in good faith. 
but there is nothing genuine about a government that is trying to cheat our members out of the pay rise they deserve, he said. So he did mention Chalker here at one point. He said uh, the government and Chalker's offer of 2% was insulting. Uh, he added that the government and Chalker had also ignored August NTPA member survey. They found that 93% of responding members did not think there were enough police. 79% said morale was low or very low. 88% said they were dissatisfied or very dissatisfied with the NEN pay freeze offer from the government. Uh, and then we added in here, yeah, let's not forget, uh, you know, here's McHugh saying the government and Chalker ignored and forgot something here. Well, let's not forget here, Paul, that those results also found that 80% of respondents had no faith in Chalker's leadership. So how much of the morale is fixed, as you point out, Pete, yeah. by getting rid of uh, that clown? These results uh, should have been a serious wake-up call to government, McHugh said, and Commissioner Chalker that our police force is in crisis. Uh, but we are yet to see any indication these results are being taken seriously and the government has a plan to turn these results around. The community of the NT deserve to be kept safe. What happens next in these negotiations sits squarely at the feet of the files government. So, Interesting. Yeah, and that's Listen, where the action. I'm, I'm pro the police, the fireys and the ambos getting pay rises whenever it's required. So I'm... Um, my next statement isn't to poke fun at them in any way, shape, or form, but I always do find it gives me a smile when I hear that their representative says that they're negotiating in good faith. I don't know what the opposite of that is, but every <laughs> union always claims to be negotiating in good faith. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I guess if you're negotiating with Chalker, you'll see what bad faith looks like. <laughs> That's Dirty tactics, maybe. Maybe trump up a, a murder charge or something on a cop. <laughs> That's negotiating just, bad faith. I'd just love to see a union boss get up there one day and say, look, um, so far we've been negotiating in bad faith. We're going to switch tax now. <laughs> we're going to move to the good faith model. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All sides are always acting in good faith, yet we don't get anywhere for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll see what happens now, but I guess, you know, that city's putting them on, on notice that uh, you want to avoid the strike action. So let's, let's oh my God, absolutely. Like yeah. save money anywhere else you possibly can, but let's not save money on the emergency services, right? When, when we need them now, when it's just crazier and crazier. More than right ever. Yeah. Correct. Uh, anyway, um, speaking of uh, crime and things like that, uh, the FARS government came out with a little perler this week and uh, they've unveiled plans to fix the Alice Springs crime situation. It's going to fix it. It'll go from being what it is today to completely fixed with voluntary accommodation for youths. Yeah. How do you like that? Uh, <laughs> well, it probably goes under the category of more questions than answers, but. Um, Anyway, let's hear the story and then I can poke holes in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm pulling it out. So, you know, we know that the problems uh, have been going on there unaddressed for for so long. I mean, it's so crazy that they're shutting down the CBD twice in two weeks there, twice in a week. Uh, so, you know, and, and they've come out and then we got then we've, we've been over all of those things, Pete, so I won't get into everything. But, you know, the social order response team is a big part of this solution and this is a group of bureaucrats uh working with police and some other people who are going to do foot patrols around at night 
but all, all a part of a multi-tiered approach, of course, to uh, addressing the complexities of the complex situation. Uh, and so we were always saying, okay, well, what the hell are you really getting touché, at? Chris, touché, Chris, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and so now they've unveiled this. Now they said, well, here's the missing part. Here's what we didn't tell you. And this is going to solve it all. And this is the missing the missing link here. And uh, They started out by saying, so Katie. <laughs> yeah, so Katie, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to uh, Yeah. So this is what it is. Temporary accommodation for uh, unsupervised children and young people found out at night. Uh, of course, you talk to anyone down there, they're happy that anything's being announced, but concerns, of course, remain over the voluntary nature of the program. Uh, <laughs> and talking to the, to the young gentleman at night and saying, um, why are you out here? We got, we got a place over here. You want to yeah. come sleep? Every just, single bed. Yeah. Don't break anything. Nah, they want to be with their friends. They want to be smashing stuff. Yeah. I guess like we won't charge you anything. Maybe that's a thing. Anyway, so uh Territory Families Minister Kate Warden, we also point out as the police minister, not a conflict at all there, announced yesterday that the government will partner with Saltbush Social Enterprise to increase the number of they're calling safe spaces for children considered to be at risk or found at night with nowhere safe to go. Part of what she called, I think, the uh, new intervention or something. I remember she used to oh, use that word and then it upset careful. some people. Yeah. So these children will now be, they'll be identified by youth outreach uh, officers, I guess, and re-engagement officers on foot patrols, tangent cheers, uh, night patrols and anti-police patrols. The announcement comes after the police were forced to close the CBD, as we know. Uh, Warden said, if a young child doesn't have anywhere safe to go and is out on the streets at all hours of the night and morning, clearly something isn't right. She's just stunned yeah, on her. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. In the first instance, we'll always try to get these children home. But if we can't because it isn't safe, that is when this program kicks in. Having Saltbush Enterprises expand their work into this program we have more accommodation to increase safe place options along with services to ensure the child and their family are getting the support they need. So she also said that a child protection practitioner, an Aboriginal community worker, and a male and female Saltbush staff member will be operating from the accommodation center. Uh, as we said, though, I mean, the Saltbush has been there for a while. Uh, so they're expanding a bit. We're not sure how many how many exactly uh, beds or spaces, safe spaces they have. Now, of course, the, the, the catch here, again, is that it's, they won't be legally required to stay there, which has many concerned, of course, in the community. The program will be ineffective. ineffective. So Alice Springs Mayor Matt Patterson, we've spoken to, uh, you know him, and he's been very concerned, very vocal yes. about uh, going around the country trying to get help for this. Yep, so as he should be. You know, he, he declared a state of emergency at one stage, didn't he? Well, he wanted to, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Saying, like, yeah, he said, we're, yeah, he technically is, couldn't, but he was trying yeah. to request that, yeah, yeah. And so, look, he, he was on mix this week and we, we heard him on there, and he said, Look, I, you know, he, I welcome the new uh, program, um, but he said, You know, time will tell if it's effective or not. And like he had said something, he doesn't want to bash anything that they're trying, but he said, Look, it's a trial and error pace. This has been happening. So obviously more safe places yeah. for young kids is better 
is it for the community? Is it better for the kids? So we'll wait and see what happens. But it's sort of a business as usual approach. He said, Saltbush has been there for a little while. The only worry I have is that the kids can freely leave. And so, you know, they're going to get dropped there as a, just a halfway host effectively. But look, time will tell. And obviously, I welcome the announcement. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's, yeah. But I think, I think you can tell him that's what he's saying. It's that, yeah, this isn't going to, this isn't going to. No, it's, it's, it's a very guarded response. Yeah. You know, the thing about that that's most troubling to me is at the top of the story there, you read a bit saying that the, in the first instance, we want to essentially, reunite the child with their family or their parents. That's okay, Warden said, yeah. And then failing that, if it's not safe for them, then we'll find alternative. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. If it's not safe for them. So why are they there in the first place? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, yeah. th this is something that we've been talking about now for years mm -hmm. is that it is known Certainly in Darwin. Oh, the troublemakers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's known that being at home for them is a problem. Yeah. yeah. Don't we have to figure that out? All these NGOs and all these people, you know, supposedly involved in this social work stuff, we've got to figure that out. And as, and, as I said yeah. last week, you've got parents out there who never wanted or intended to be parents. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to figure this out because- that's where the problem starts. I, I yeah, you're right, Pete. You're absolutely right. And I think that they they're getting this slowly but surely. Like um, Matt Patterson said, it's kind of trial and error process. Which I don't yeah. know how this far into the game that this is trial and error now. But getting back to your point, you're right that um, that the parents have to be involved. And I think you know that day that I was there a few weeks ago, at Kate Warden's press conference. You know where I stumbled into it. Um, <laughs> she and she was good enough to, I guess, to, to, to not have security remove me anyway. <laughs> that's so bad, unlike the administrator, yeah. Um, no, and she did take questions from me, but that's what she was getting at, I think, too. In there was uh, at that time, she was saying, like, look, there, there needs to be something. I think they're getting that it's got to be for the parents, but they're not coming out and saying that yeah. to the public. But, but, but there is like she's saying that if the child is put in this facility or, or even, I guess, identified and goes to this facility and then they just mm. walk out. That's one thing. But the parent needs to be notified the next morning and that there are supports offered to the parent mm. and to the kid and to the entire family. But I guess essentially in, in how far normal, that would go, I don't correct. know. In a normal functional family, that makes sense. Right, yeah. because if your child or my child went astray, we'd want to know. Oh that yeah, but I wouldn't we would want, deal with it. Yeah, yeah, but I, we, we wouldn't need we wouldn't need um, resources from the government at that point. Correct. So I guess that's just the extent. It comes down to what's the extent of these resources and what does it actually mean? Because yeah, yeah and then that's what they don't want to explain. They don't want to get into that because clearly it's not working. Whatever they've done before, if they're ramping that up with the parents' involvement, yeah. and that. You know, they're saying these government resources will be put on them, that there'll be something done, but they're not saying what. So, you know, we uh, And I think there needs to be an alternative to this, right? Because we know for a fact that many of these parents have their own problems and they are completely disengaged from the parenting process in any way. 
And so it's all well and good to throw all the resources in the world at them, but if they're disengaged and they don't want to be a parent, nothing will work. There's got to be a third alternative to that. Yeah, I know. And then they just get scared of that. That's like yeah. where they don't want to go, but they're going to have to if we're going to fix this thing. Yeah. We're going to have to go everywhere here. But we're not we're necessarily talking. I understand that it's extremely sensitive and you know we can't talk about you know, removing children from their families and stuff like that. And that that's not the alternative I'm even thinking about. But with his extended families yeah. and well, that's, know, my, yeah, that, that's what they do. They do do yeah. that now. Yeah. Yeah. But just, again, it, yeah, it's not it, working. So I don't believe, and I could be wrong here, Chris, but I don't believe a 10 year old or an 11 year old is roaming the streets, stealing cars, driving them at police, doing all the things they're doing, because that's what they do for entertainment. I believe they're doing it for a myriad of reasons, many of which are probably a cry for help. And, and you know, in many cases, it's probably substance abuse as well. But that's what needs to be sorted out. And they're not doing it for fun. Yeah. Yeah, finding those root causes and fixing. But, yeah, look, for six years now, this government has promised us generational change has been unable to deliver even a little bit of change anywhere along the way or yeah. anything that, that points to a brighter generation. Uh, yeah. They've been unable to do that. So yeah, I don't know, said, but they're going to have to try harder. Basically, I know it's, it's difficult. I know Absolutely. it's difficult. Like I don't, and, and, and to just get away of any partisan thing. No, I don't think the COP would be able to fix it either. And yeah. my, my thing is you got to get everybody at the table talking about it and you got to yeah. find the thing and commit to it both political parties independence to everybody commit bring the the ngos in and 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 that's the only way that we're actually going to address this and it's going to be hard and it's going to be hard for a lot of people but it will fix it will get Correct. fixed eventually if we're all on board but we're not there yet yeah and and it is going to be difficult and it is going to be long but mm -hmm. i personally don't like the expression generational and i've said it in jest many times but on a serious note it, every time I hear that expression, it makes me cringe because it makes me feel like you're not taking responsibility for that. You're leaving it for the next person because mm -hmm. it's generational. So that could be <laughs> three or four generations from now. Yeah, well, that's probably what Gunnar meant when he, when, <laughs> and that was his thing in the lead up to the 2016 campaign. We're going to bring generational change mm. that will affect the the law and order stuff. And yeah. no, no, we have but not just, seen anything. Just don't forget, though, Chris, on everything that he said that was, you know, been thrown back at him multiple times, every single time, according to him, we misunderstood what he said. Did he say that? You miss, I'm a misunderstood yeah, genius? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about the genius bit, but yeah, yeah. I mean, on all the things when it was like, hey, but you said this when this happened, I know you misunderstood my yeah, words. Yeah. You're mixing my words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. He did that a lot. Yeah, they're the words that you used. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, this guy couldn't articulate anything anyway. And that was a big, big problem because we couldn't yeah. understand what he was saying sometimes. Correct. But, Correct. Um, the words we're, we're no used better off. weren't actually words. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. We are no better off now, and it's going to take a lot, Pete, like we said here. So let's start yep. finding those solutions and working on it because, again, these kind of little things like this, although maybe well-intentioned, um, unless they're part of, and, and yeah, just the people patrol foot, that's not on foot patrols. Mm -hmm. That's not going to help either. It's, you got to do some big drastic stuff Correct. and everybody's got to be on board, everybody in the community. 
these are band-aid things and the band-aids mm. already come off so yep. that's that's the problem yep. all right look let's move to the last story because this is a good news story for the northern territory and uh it's been announced that three afl games will again be played in the nt and the government <laughs> has not put a cost on the deal no no they have not <laughs> and i believe they were taking a page out of Gunner's book here on, on promotion and stuff um, by saying, by using words that just simply could not possibly be true. Uh, and I'm trying to find this here, but I think it was that they had said that they were going to be blockbuster games wow. involving the Gold Coast Suns. Is that a thing? Yeah. How could they mm. play in a blockbuster game? No, that's not I, a thing, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> in a stadium that only houses 10,000 people. <laughs> I think that's how David Wood was putting it around the office today. No, this is not possible. You would it's, not ever claim a game that the Gold Coast Suns are playing in a block. No, time. it's not a thing yet. No, but remember that Michael Gunner's former media director, a guy named Craig Rouston, went to work for the Gold Coast Suns, and then ah. came back to work for the NT government. And there was a lot of lot of stuff going on there. And we've we've right. all of a sudden the Gold Coast Suns are our team. They're your team. There are teams. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And I will say, because I did watch the game, uh, they played against North Melbourne, I think, earlier this year. And there were three or four uh, NT players playing for them. So that did that did make it, you know, uh, not more interesting. It was interesting anyway, but it was, it was good because they had the families there and they got involved. And, and that was a positive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, the people love seeing this when when it's here and then. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Now, and then, but then we get back into that eight hundred thousand a game. It was in twenty eighteen. Wow. Uh, okay. So, yeah. But plus anyway, the, yeah. Um, plus yeah. the extra trucks they need to bring in with the water, in case the Yeah. God knows what they're going to do there because it's still a mess, but. Uh, yeah, so look in the statement here today, I guess, AFLNT head Sam Gibson said the Gold Coast Suns will play the Western Bulldogs at Marara. That's DIO on Saturday, May 27th. Uh, the Suns would also play the Adel- Adelaide Crows at uh, TIO Stadium the following Saturday. Mm. Melbourne Demons will take on uh, the Giants at Traeger Park in Alice Springs on either July 1st or 2nd, with the exact date to be announced at a later date. Uh, the NT government, as we said, pays to have them both come, but uh, it's not said how much it will cost. In 2016, uh, COP said they were paying $1.6 million, uh, to play one game in Darwin, one game in Alice. Uh, yeah, so, but everybody's excited about this. I mean, it is one of the things. That's why Labor's continued to hit after the CLP yeah. started doing it, is that people like seeing uh, professional sports teams in there. They town. do. And, and it is a good thing. And they do a lot for the community. They do a lot of those engagement things and people get yep. to go out and meet the players, get their photos, autographs. Uh, yeah. And they were saying now, uh, let me see here. Uh, seven players with links to the NT now on our AFL list. Mm. Uh, and this is the Gold Coast Suns chief executive officer and an ever growing number of players from the region coming through our development pathways Two matches at TIO Stadium. Oh, see, he he used TIO Stadium. The rest were saying Marara Oval. Don't say oh, TIO Stadium. Um, it provides the opportunity for young territorians to aspire to follow in their footsteps. 
uh, with our playing squad to remain in Darwin in between fixtures. We're looking forward to the opportunity to engage with the local community away from the football field as well. Uh, Melbourne Demons uh, Chief Executive Gary Pert also said the team was looking forward to heading down to Alice Springs. We see TIO Traeger Park as a home ground away from home, while it also provides us with a great opportunity to connect with the local community and bring the AFL competition to the heart of the nation. Uh, tickets will go on sale early in the new year. And could I make a suggestion, Chris? Because, you know, yeah. you rightfully said before that fixing a lot of these problems is yeah. going to take an all-in approach. I was just thinking that, yeah. I, heard that. yeah. I mean, what a golden opportunity yeah. to get some of these boys yeah. in amongst the communities and talking to some of these little troublemakers because it's people like that that could make all the difference, you yeah. know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm from the same place as you and I understand your struggles and what have you, but, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. look what I've made of myself and you could do the same. Yeah, and by, by doing positive things in the community, playing sport, the camaraderie exactly. with other people, yeah, it's just – Exactly. Um, yeah, Look you're at right. us little peace deal makers, Chris. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. I hope that the government, <laughs> like, I honestly don't know if they've even, <laughs> but they got to start doing it. Now, it, I guess in fairness was, um, well, no, I don't even think that, and I, and I won't talk about it because I don't know enough about it, but the plan to build the, the stadium here. And yeah. it was about having a team, but that it wouldn't, yeah, yeah. that a team here wouldn't be based on economics per se, but on positive social yeah, yeah. stuff and, and providing that. But yeah, I think when you're looking at the kids who are out there that we know are out there committing crimes, if you can get to them through this football stuff yeah. and have some, some yep. really good players here talking to them, it's a good idea. Uh, I hope that we see that before well, that I happens. Too, before that happens. And we'll report on it. I will gladly. They put out a release. Yep. about that saying and here's what we're doing and these kids yep. are all coming we got them lined up and it's going to be yep. great we'll be we'll, we'll i'd love to report that i think that'd be and, great and i know it works i i truly do um you know I, I i as a younger person i did some some voluntary work in uh some youth detention centers in victoria mm-hmm. and you know we we used to go in and and again, it was just playing sports and just getting involved and having a chat and all that sort of stuff. And it was amazing the morale could be lifted by just those might be a few hours, just having a chat, having a meal. And, and you know, sometimes they'd want to talk about where they come from, other times they didn't, and that was fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these players, it's great to get them to do their, you know, their, um, they do their sports uh days and you know they get their sessions with the schools and things like that but if someone could coordinate it and i'm sure there's better minds than yours and mine who are involved you know, <laughs> there's like directly. hundreds who get paid a lot of money to do Correct. this yeah this 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 could be a link that could be easily made and yeah. you know give these these kids an opportunity to meet some of these people and again just tell their stories and i'll tell you someone who was prolific at doing that and unfortunately, he left us too soon, but that was the Melbourne footballer, Jim Steins. And he did that a lot with homeless kids and, you know, kids who were downtrodden and just haven't got a go in life. And his ability to help them and, you know, help them help themselves was was amazing. So it can be done. It, there's no doubt about that. But as you said, it takes an all-in approach. And it's it's these sorts of things, not just the NGOs knocking on the door and saying, "Can we let your kid back in?" That's not going to fix it. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, Pete, I, I think you're absolutely right. And so, like I said, I guess that gets back to that leadership and that, that those statesmanlike qualities bringing the community together. And we haven't seen that yet and being able yeah. to, 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 to find those ways to make those little things happen that can become very big and, and positive. And so, yeah. yeah, we haven't seen that yet, but here we are. Enough, yeah, hopefully that happens. There's enough former teachers and PE teachers in the yeah. current government to be able to go and run their own sports days down there as well. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's a great point. Yeah. Why isn't she using sport to connect? Use your skills. Yeah. 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 Right. Anyway, well, Chris, as always, mate, it's yeah. uh, been a pleasure. Anything coming up next week we can give a little tease to, a little hint? Oh, yeah. Well, God, Pete. <laughs> Don't yeah, spoil no, it. Yeah, I, I actually better not because I just know for my you know, decades now as experience as a journalist, better not say things before exactly they're out because sometimes it doesn't happen. But we're going to have some very interesting stuff. Uh, by this time next week, yeah, we'll be having some, some pretty good conversations. And then uh, and then I'll be gone on, uh, on leave for a little bit. And I think Woody will be in. Uh, we'll have the most the corrupt man in the Northern Territory on the podcast. <laughs> That's his own words, not That's me saying that. Self-described. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that should be fun. But yeah, we'll have some stuff. We'll have some stuff over Christmas too. And um, on the on the website, I know we'll we'll probably take yeah. a break here. But uh, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, there's so much. And yeah, and we're not slowing down. I know before Christmas, it seems the politicians are laying low, but that's okay. That doesn't <laughs> that's stop the us. Time to go and find <laughs> yeah, they're always laying low for us, right? They're, they're <laughs> avoiding us all the time. So that doesn't that's bother right. us. But we'll have some stuff that people can read too over the holidays. It'll be pretty enlightening, I think. Brilliant. Thanks, Chris. We'll catch you next week. Great. Thanks, Pete. See you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshie back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.